0: If you have your Bibles, let's look at Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills together sing for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into the Bible. We pray, God, that we would think deep and true thoughts in these next few moments. God, what a day, Baptism Sunday, where we've witnessed young and old alike come through these waters, God. We thank you, Lord, that you see us through as we live our lives. Father, we pray that we would have wisdom as we hear just for a few moments. From the Bible, God, we pray that we would be able to gain insight that would help us to be faithful. God, we bless these kids, their parents, these teenagers and their parents, and this adult and his family. And we ask, God, that you would see them through the twists and turns of life. We thank you for their baptism. What a joy it is, God. And we remember our own baptism in this space. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was going to say something about Georgia, but it's just getting boring. I mean, the winning is just like, it's like they just, I found myself bored last night a little bit thinking like, oh, this must be what it feels like to be um, an Alabama fan a few years ago. I um, have a sense that that's over for Alabama, um, but it's okay. You've had your time. Uh, it's, it's Georgia's time now. So I just want to be very clear about that. Um, And now we're going to look at the Bible. So the first thing I think we're meant to hold here is that victory rests with God. And as I hear this idea of victory resting with God, what the poet's saying over and over again, that the world sees that the Lord sees that his victory, his arm is strong and his victory is secure. uh, The first thing that that says to me is that victory does not have to rest with me. It doesn't have to rest with you. I think that too many of us for too long say that we believe victory rests with God, but we live our lives as if it's down to us, as if we're ultimately fundamentally responsible. And one of the things that I love about this beautiful poem from the prayer book of the Jewish faith and the church is that there is no ambiguity around the fact that victory rests with our God. He is strong. We are not. He is powerful. We are not. He is infinite. We are not. And I believe that one of the invitations for each and every one of us as we sit with whatever it is we're sitting with in life right now is to recognize that God is strong so you don't have to live your life as if it's all down to you. I think that for for me at least, and I think probably for many of us, the the last couple of years have been um, a revealer maybe more than anything else. Uh, pandemic and and politics and all all the upheaval that we've faced um, didn't necessarily create things in our lives, but they did reveal some things, some fault lines. And I think for me, this piece of victory resting with God is one of the the big revealers in my own life that um, without even being always conscious of it, I was prone to living my life as if um, it was really all down to me. And then what happens in life when you realize that uh, you're not getting the job done is you're left with a couple of options. We either begin to look to the Lord and say, victory rests with you, or we become cynical and fatalistic and we just check out. I was struck by the words of the song we were singing about, um, you've been faithful through every season. Um, Why would you quit now? You won't. God. And many of us probably, even as we sang the words or heard the words of that song sung a few minutes ago, we're thinking, I don't feel like it's been such a great season. Maybe Maybe you're in a hard spot. Lord knows I have been. I think that the thing, the invitation here is to pull our orientation off of our own sufficiency and begin to look to one who actually is sufficient. And what that does for us is it actually liberates us to be more honest and authentic and reflective about who we are and where we've come from. Victory rests with the Lord, not with you. And for some of us, maybe you've done a pretty good job up until a certain point in life, and it's easy to believe the lie that victory rests with you when the sun is shining and the wind is at your back. Like when things are going pretty well, it's, it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking like, maybe I have this or or maybe I'm responsible to make sure that things go in a certain direction. And I believe that this reminder that those things, those ultimate outcomes, God's ability to see us through, God's ability to keep and gather up all in our lives that concern him, that's way more about God than it is about us. I grew up in a tradition of the church where baptism was really all about us, um, where we had to choose it and remember it. Do you, do you know that when, when Jews gather um, in, a, in a couple of months to uh, celebrate Passover, they will look at one another at a Passover and say things like, remember when we walk through the Red Sea. Like none of them actually physically walk through the Red Sea. And yet they claim as a part of their story, the story of the people of God. So they actually get grafted into that. That story and that, that kind of institutional memory is way more about being caught up into God's story than it is about everything being about me or about you. I think that one of our problems in the modern Western world is that we have believed the lie and committed to the lie that victory rests with us. And some of you come into a space like this just dog tired because you're just not getting it done. And I just want to speak liberty over you. Victory rests with God. Therefore, you can be finite. You can be dependent. You can be grateful you can ask God to do for us and for you and for me what we cannot do in our own strength because your arms are not long enough to get the job done neither are mine so there's an invitation here just in the language of the of the poet to to see God as strong so that you can actually find your rightful place of need and dependence it's the nature of the soul to need We live in a culture that tells us that neediness is is a sign of weakness and that that is bad. And I just want to say to you, victory rests with God. And that's really good news because it means you're not ultimately responsible for those you love. You're not responsible even for the life that you experience. God wants us to be caught up and gathered up into him. The second thing that the poet says that I think is connected to that is that God remembers his love and faithfulness. I say this all the time. We were talking about this uh, in, the, in the room before baptism service. Um, the Jews are not Vikings. So they, we, say, we joke about this from time to time. So whenever you see water in the Bible, it's usually like water is a sign of chaos. It's a sign of something bigger. Uh, so the Jews were not seafaring people. So water almost always represents like something scary. It's like in the, in the very beginning of our Bible, we see that the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. That meant like God hovers over scary stuff, over, over, over uncertain stuff you remember the story when Jesus was walking out on the water in the Sea of Galilee? If, if you come with me to Israel, we're going to go to that very place where that happened. The disciples are, are in the middle of the lake rowing. And I, my grandmother was a good, good, godly Baptist woman. So a lot of my Bible memorization was King James because she just like, put it in me. I, I haven't read the King James in forever, but I love this phrase. The, the text says in the King James that they were rowing against an adversarial wind, They were just in a struggle. And do you know what? When they get into a struggle, their vision collapses into tunnel vision. The same is true for you. They don't see Jesus coming toward them. They forget. When we get into hard times, we forget, but God doesn't forget. And I just want to say this to you. You may have forgotten a whole lot. God does not forget he remembers. A lot of us, even those of us who grew up in the church, we've been told a lot that we need to remember. Remember? Remember to love God, remember to serve God, remember, 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 and that is really important. But we don't get told a lot that God remembers. It's not just about you remembering, because you're made of finite, fragile, frail stuff. When we get into the mess, we, like the disciples, get tunnel vision and we lose sight of Jesus even when he's moving toward us. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you've thought, I haven't seen Jesus, in a long time, I haven't felt comforted in a long time. Maybe it's so hard that it's hard for you to even sing some of these songs. I just want to say the, the text today is reminding us that God remembers even when we forget. Because he's different than you. And there's, it takes courage to believe that. David, poet, prophet, warrior, king, Um, David, like a real guy, um, David once wrote in one of his Psalms, he said, darkness is not dark to you, O God. And I love that because what David is, is saying is something positive. Darkness is not dark to you. God, you can see in the dark, but he's also saying something negative about us. He's strongly implying darkness is not dark to you, but it is dark to me. Like your eyes don't work in the dark. And that's not because something's wrong with your eyes. It's because we're made of finite stuff. We forget when we're in chaos and crisis and turmoil, we leak truth. Like when the sun is shining and and things are good, you remember all kinds of things. But when it gets hard, we forget. And the the prophet poet here is saying, God remembers even when you forget. So what would it look like for us to remind ourselves in a place like this that God remembers He remembers his covenant. He remembers his self-obligation. Covenant, that word, as God understands it, as the Jews understand it, means mutual obligation. When God says it, it means self-obligation. It means I will hold up an end of this deal that you just can't. I will remember. God remembers his commitment to you. He thinks about you. Stop and hold that for a moment. He doesn't just demand that you think about him. He thinks about you. He remembers. I think we need to hear that, not just in our heads, but in our guts. The third thing we see in this text, and I think this is really important, joy is the appropriate response to the experience of God being full of victory and God remembering his love and faithfulness, that joy, this idea, and and lots of singing imagery comes up. Um, I actually really appreciate this Psalm uh, because this Psalm says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm not a very good singer. So I I take solace in the fact that like, even if you're making some noise, like that's actually like, that's my job. It's why I sit on the front row because I don't want anybody to be in front of me hearing me try to sing. It's not a blessing. and, and so we're told, like, bang on things. I don't even know what a liar is, but it's something. Horns. Uh, make some noise. Marty stopped us and manipulated us uh, and then said he wasn't manipulating us. But I think, like, in the same way that a chiropractor will manipulate things that are out, it's okay to be manipulated every now and again. Like, to be reminded. Like, make a joyful noise. Sing to God what the prophet is saying what the poet is saying right here is that joy which is a sense of well-being and settledness and happiness which is not connected to circumstance should be our response when we know that God is victorious and that he remembers us that that ought to induce hope that moves us forward that actually results in a settled sense in the middle of your being And you need to hear that joy is not the same thing as everything going well and feeling great about things and feeling really hopeful about how your circumstances are going. What does it mean that God is victorious, that he's strong and we're weak? That he remembers if we forget, and how can when we hold those truths, begin to embrace joy? I believe at Trinity, and our leadership team has is, 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 is been wrestling with this for months, we believe that this place has not been a joyful enough place, and that that's because of us. That's leaders set the tone. When we planted Trinity, we were really young. I was, I was 26, uh, probably had no business planting a church um, at that point. And we were so um, serious about everything. And one of the things that I love about this church is that we are serious about God. I hope that if you, you're here that you'll think like those people, like they take the Bible seriously. They try to think true thoughts about God. That's never going to change, God willing. We're going to hold that. But I don't think we've been joyful enough. And one of the things in my own life that I'm sensing is that I need to find ways to move toward joy. And that may not look like what you think it looks like. Joy is not checking out and escaping. Joy is recognizing, I forget, I'm finite, I'm weak. God is not those things. Therefore, I'm gonna move forward with hope and life and I'm gonna have some fun as I do it. The Lord wants us to be joyful. The Lord wants us to put some flags in the ground that move us toward life. And right here in this poem, I think that the the poet is inviting us to a joyful response. Things being okay in your life is not a solid foundation for living. Circumstances all lining up. That's just not a great foundation because the longer you live, the more you realize that things don't always go the way that we want them to go. You got to find a way to be okay and to be joyful when things are not okay. I do too. Too much of my life and too much of the time, I have been dependent upon things going well in order to move forward with hope and joy. And I believe the Lord wants that to shift in me and I think he wants it to shift in us. The next movement is about the sea and the floods. Again, remember, the Jews are not Vikings. So it's, it's uh, telling that they would say the sea roars in Um, in praise. And the floods clap their hands in affirmation. The Jews are seeing here the things that would overwhelm us are actually now moving us on. They're cheering on the goodness and the power of God. And I believe that there's something really important for us here. Do you believe that God can make a way where there seems to be no way? I believe the Lord wants us to be the kinds of people who begin to believe things about him that may not make total sense as we look at the detailed data of our lives. He wants to move us into life. And I believe that he wants this place and you and me to be a people who increasingly move toward life and joy, even in the midst of the reality of the valleys in which we live, the troubles that we experience, the questions for which we just don't have good answers. Viktor Frankl once said, a person with a why, a purpose, can endure almost any what. And I have to admit that I don't feel like I've always lived or even regularly lived in that space of being able to proceed even when things are hard. But by the grace of God, that's where I'm headed. And I hope that you'll join me there. The floods of your life do not have to keep you from God. The storms in life, the hills you don't feel like you can climb, they don't have to keep you from an experience of the goodness of God, the victory of God, the remembering that's in the heart of God. Here's where we'll finish. God is going to make things right. And this is where we actually believe in an afterlife. We believe in a culmination of the ages. It's where we realize that things may not be right here But God will one day as N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars says, he will one day put the world, including my own story to rights. He'll gather up the parts of your life that don't make sense and he'll hold them. And one day he will put it to rights. We need not fear judgment as the people of God. We don't need to be afraid of judgment. Listen to these words. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of our Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. God is full of righteousness and goodness, and he's going to bring your story if you belong to him into a place where you experience shalom and peace. We taste shalom and peace on this side of eternity, and we experience it on the other. I'm learning to hold the moments of shalom and not demand that that be my day-to-day, every-moment experience in the Shadowlands. One day, God will put the world to rights, including your own story, including your own pain. For now, we ask for tastes of it. David says this, In Psalm 27, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We get glimpses. And he says, I want you to remember who I am. So what does it look like for you? This is going to be a moment. We're going to come to communion in a moment. But first, we're going to be still and ask this question. What would it be like and what does it look like for you to move toward joy right now? And I want to say moving toward joy might not be for you what you think it is. So for me right now, moving toward joy is not like buying a boat or, um, you know, I mean, I would love to have a boat. Uh, It's not like a super long vacation because that's not always practical. Like, so for me right now, moving toward joy is moving away from self-pity or cynicism You understand, sometimes it's like a counterintuitive thing, like how do I move toward the life that God has? It might mean moving away from something that's keeping you stuck. So we're gonna spend a few moments and we're gonna do, um, I love that we baptized a little one called Selah. Um, It's a, a mysterious Hebrew word that means something like, stop and calmly think about this, pause and ponder. So we're gonna Selah for a few moments. We're just going to hold something and we're going to let it like sit there in our hearts and in our hands. So I want to spend just a few moments in quiet where you ask the question, what would it look like for me to move toward joy? And then we're going to come to this table together. But first, let's be still. It's going to take you more than a couple of minutes to get some insight there but I hope you'll start a contemplation around what joy looks like and the postures that the Lord would invite you to inhabit in order to move toward joy there's a, a, a Hebrew word um, Nagah which is the word that they would use for um, reading and holding hard-to-get-your-hands-on-ideas. It was also the same word that would be used when a dog would chew on a bone and then bury it and then dig it up and chew on it some more and then bury it and then dig it up and chew on it some more and bury it. Um, we need to learn how to nagah with hard-to-answer questions. We need to learn how to hold them and then bury them and then hold them and bury them just like a dog would with a bone. My hope is that you'll think deeply about moving toward joy. So one of the gifts of the last year and and a half is that I have, um, with the help of my my wife, discovered that I'm a seven on the Enneagram versus an eight, but I have an eight wing. And if you don't know what any of that means, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I won't get into it. But one of the things that I think I'm learning about myself is that for me, joy could in a shadowy way feel like just escaping. And there were times and experiences in my own life early on where I would create an alternative reality that was better than the real reality as a way to like survive, um, as a way to get through things. And so one way that I'm learning to move toward joy is to like hold reality, even when it's not comfortable. So do you see how that's pretty counterintuitive? God wants you to move toward joy will make you more sturdy. So think of it that way. Joy's not just going to like make you wispy or flaky. Joy's going to make you more durable. That's 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 shalom. If we're able to stand together.